Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hello there, Shelly. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. It's cold <laughs> and I don't like it. <laughs> I know. Me neither. I do not like the cold. I'm not a winter person. I'm happiest late May to like mid-September. And that's it. The rest yeah. of the year I'm complaining. Did you ever do like winter sports growing up? Like skiing no. or anything? I didn't even I really don't like sledding. Huh? I didn't even really like sledding as a kid. Me neither. I mean, I went, I just don't, I don't like being out in the cold. I just yeah. don't like it. In the same way, like you're- I don't like it. And I felt like no matter how warmly I dress, I still- Right. Cold. Something's cold. Right. Mm. I just don't love it. Yeah. So this week we are speaking with Crystal from Coaching with Crystal about parenting and at, um, connecting with your kids. She is a parenting coach. Nice. I think a lot of parents might need that, like, especially parenting during a pandemic. I feel like it's either working super well for some families and then for other families, they're like at each other's throats. Right. Yeah. Kind of like every family. (laughs) Some things are working. Some things are not. Yeah, it's true, Nicole. You're so right. Like, (laughs) you're like, isn't that us every day? Even even before Exactly. Yep. Literally. It's so funny how much like the moods can shift in our house. Like we'll be so mad at each other. And then like five minutes later, we'll be laughing together. And that's how my Italian family (laughs) beating on each other. One minute, the next minute passed a bowl of pasta and everyone's good. Yeah. Did you ever read Amy Tan? No. Like her, she, she wrote like the joy luck club and uh, the kitchen God's wife. I really like her book. She's one of my favorite authors, but I, she did. um, I actually forget what book it came out of, but I know that they, it was a, um, like a Chinese family living in San Francisco, I think. And it was from the daughter's perspective where her, her mom had like postpartum depression, whatever. It was very, very, very quiet and silent in their house. Mm -hmm. And throughout the story, she talks about how there was an Italian family that lived in the apartment right next to theirs. And Mm -hmm. she could hear the mom and the daughter just like screaming and fighting all the time. And she remembered thinking like, well, at least my family's not like that. At least my family, you know, and then at the end of the story, she could like her in her very silent house where they don't really talk to each other. She can hear like the mother and the daughter next door fighting and then she like the, the mother locked the daughter out of the apartment. And then five minutes later, let her in and she can hear them yelling at each other. Like, you know, you, I can't believe you locked me out. And the mom was like, you almost left and gave me a heart attack. And then she realized that they, they love each other a lot. Nice. Like the yeah. things that they were yelling at each other were like, I was really worried about you. And then she realizes that her house is not actually better than that. I love it. Yeah. Not that I'm advocating for yelling. Right, 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 right. Of course. I think things aren't always quite as they seem. Right. So let's And that's just the truth. Yes. Um, Let's start off with our favorite of the week. Great. Do you want to go go first? first? (laughs) I can go first. (laughs) Um, It's 
the otteroo have you ever heard of that no it's like an inflatable ring that goes around a baby's neck oh yes yeah you see yes. that yeah i've seen that i don't know, like facebook sends me these ads for all the time and the first time i saw it i was like this is completely insane but um i know someone who's a pediatric pt and she was like no this is great this is originally developed for like babies with torticollis helps them loosen tightness and tension yeah that's so cool so now when i'm working with a family who has to go through like a tongue tie release that's one of the things that i suggest after the release to help the baby relax all the tension that they've built up in from the from the ties like i'll suggest that they fill their tub up with warm unscented epsom salt water and use the otter to float the baby around shelly you are so smart well, it's like, it's funny because the parents are always like, really, is it safe? And then they send me a picture or a video of the baby in it. And the baby's like splashing. And <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I've seen like they them. Have fun. Could, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want one too. <laughs> I know. I, seriously, like all these things that we didn't have. I know we sound old when we say that. But, <laughs> but we are. Like, well, I am. I really wanted a hot go when I was breastfeeding. Right, right. And the strollers that aren't SUVs. (laughs) Yep, that's right. Everything has gotten better and better and better. What about you? What's your favorite of the week? Well, nothing quite so delightful, but (laughs) I was on Netflix looking for recommendations and um, people were giving me rave reviews on social media to watch made on mm-hmm. netflix i've heard good oh. things oh i heard it i heard it can be tough to watch oh. is that true oh. i don't even know how i feel about it do i love it yes did it traumatize me yes like mm-hmm. i watch it that's all i'm gonna say mm-hmm. someone it's posted it it was a must watch like it was something that everyone should be it required is and if you are a woman if you are a woman who works with women, if you are a woman who has daughters, if you are a woman, you need to watch this. It is really um, brilliantly done. It is painful to watch, mm-hmm. but it's so important. I Rachel watched it, my older daughter, and Grace is slight, I don't know, she's 16 and a half, and I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about her watching it. I think the emotional piece is going to be very heavy for her. Mm-hmm. That's, and she's kind of like sensitive to things that are a lot to take in, like I am, mm-hmm. maybe more so. So I'm not sure if it would be too much for her, but I definitely think that girls need to see this. Is it a show or a movie? It is a Netflix series. So Netflix it's a made for Netflix series. And can you give was, like a brief summary without giving too much away? It is about a girl who is desperate um, in needing to get out of an abusive, unhealthy relationship. And yeah. she's a mother. She's a young mom. That a young would be a tough mom. one. That would be a tough it's, one to watch. I would say it's, it's so tough to watch. It was relatable because I've had things in my life that have been unhealthy and I've been in very unhealthy, narcissistic, a very unhealthy narcissistic relationship that nearly, you know, destroyed me emotionally and mentally and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was a little hard for me. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are saying that, but it's, it really is a must watch. Mm -hmm. It really is. I feel like it's important to watch. We'll just put a trigger warning on it. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yes. Yep. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Oh, please do. And call me right away. and Tell me how much you're glad I made you watch it. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Now I'm watching another one that's also um, just a lot. And that's um, Ginny and Georgia. Did I say Mm. it's Georgia and Ginny? But definitely made. Go go watch made, everybody. Okay. It's on my it's gonna be on my watch list. Um, let's do our question of the week. Great. This week's question is I'm exclusively pumping. How do I drop a pumping session without impacting my milk supply? Oh. So you can't really. Like anytime that you tell your body to supply less milk it's going to make less milk, right? That's what I tell everybody when they think that pumping is easier. And it's not that pumping doesn't have its value. Obviously it does. And for those who are exclusively pumping for whatever reason, more power to you, that's a ton of work. But every time there's less stimulation, we're looking at, you know, the the result is going to be less milk. Mm -hmm. Right. So the real question, well, so the real question, the real answer, I should say, really depends on how old the baby is, which they didn't say when they submitted the question. And could they afford to lose a little bit of milk, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're pumping like, I don't know, 35 ounces a day and your baby's only taking 27 right? and, and is over six weeks or whatever, and your supply is well-established, maybe you could afford to drop one pumping session. Right. But that answer is going to be very different for each person individually. Yeah. It's a very relative question. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't really have a great answer this week for one that's like positive to hear, but yeah, it just, it just really depends on how much you're milking and you're, you're making how old your baby is and how well your supply is established already. Agreed. And I would add to that, that before you do um, that, you make sure you talk to an IBCLC. Mm-hmm. If you can have a home visit um, or one that you entrust such as Shelly um, to reach out um, so that you have guidance making that decision. Mm-hmm. 100%. Because it, you know, if, if, if you just go willy nilly, but you're not making enough milk, you know, then you're going to be calling because you're, you know, you need help because you're not. So I suggest anytime we're making a major change, um, always talk about, talk to an IBCLC. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I get that question a lot. So I'm glad that someone submitted this question because Mm -hmm. it's something that a lot of parents are wondering about. Okay. So next up where we will be speaking with Crystal. Great. Hey everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby and that's lack of support and community. I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information, and also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solids webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage, and pelvic floor health. 
This week, I'm really excited to announce our guest, Crystal. Crystal is an attachment-based parenting coach and a certified life coach. Welcome, Crystal. Hi, thanks for having me, Shelly. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Crystal. I'm a parenting coach. Um, I actually combine, I'm a certified life coach. So I combine life coaching tools, like um, mental, emotional mindset tools with um, attachment-based parenting. People call it different things, intuitive parenting, gentle parenting. Um, I like to call it radical connection because it's really just a focus on connection more than behavior modification. Um, and so I've known about this form of parenting for a long time. I might not have had words for it before, but I knew what it was like, but I always struggled to parent in the way that I wanted to. And so it wasn't until I found life coaching tools that I found the solution to becoming that kind of a mom. I read all the books, went to the courses and I was like, this is amazing. But I was like, how do we actually do it? Like, I need you to come into my home and like, tell me step-by-step how this works. Um, but it wasn't until I really did kind of my own inner healing and my own emotional healing so that I could stay calm and regulated, even when my child was having a meltdown, or even when my teenager was talking back, or even when my kids refused to clean up after dinner, like all those little things that kind of trigger us. And then we get really upset about, um, it was doing kind of my own work around that and around why am I getting triggered and what's really going on here that helped me to become that kind of a parent. And, um, it doesn't mean that it's like not perfect parenting. It's not that you know, all the time. Now I'm never going to yell and I'm going to be perfect all the time. Um, it's actually that like accepting that you are imperfect and accepting that it's okay to be imperfect helps you kind of release that pressure. So, um, how I help people is I help moms like me. Um, you, most of the people that I work with have kids somewhere around like the ages of like six to 15 ish, some of them a little bit younger or older. Um, and a lot of them are, have neurodivergent children. So I have some kids with diagnosis and a lot of my, my clients have kids with diagnoses also. And, um, typical parenting does not work with these kids. Like if you want to just, you know, do the rewards and punishment and, you know, yell and be stern thing. Sometimes that will work with the neurotypical child. I still think that it's not the greatest approach long-term when it comes to relationship, but it will never work with a neurodivergent child. So you will find yourself struggling to find parenting that really works for you. You're like, this isn't helping. Like they're not listening. Like it's just getting worse. And so that was my story. Like my son just got worse and worse and worse until one day I was like, this is like, this is not working. Like me or him have to go like, what, what's going to happen here. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I really started getting support and help that, um, that things changed. So at that point I I hired somebody through the Newfelt Institute, Gordon Newfelt wrote the book, hold on to your kids. Um, and that's a book I really love and recommend. And my new favorite book is called rest play grow by Deborah McNamara. So Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess, in a nutshell, I help moms. I work with them one-on-one and I also have a monthly program for moms. Nice. And I'm going to have to write those, um, books down and put them links to them in the notes. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little, there's a lot of like buzzwords in parenting and you focus on connection-based or attachment-based parenting. So how does that differ from like other styles of parenting? Yeah. So I think that the main thing would be like, I call it authoritarian parenting, but you have on the one hand, like authoritarian parenting, which is a lot more like strict and, um, pushy and forceful. So this would be like, you know, I don't want my child to disrespect me and they need to learn and they need to, it's just a lot more forceful. Um, and the problem with that kind of parenting, that's usually also rewards and punishments within that is that it um, breaks down our relationship with them over time because our child kind of feels like, not necessarily accepted for who they are or accepted for all their emotions. So when they have a big emotion, we're like, that's not okay. Then they internalize a, I'm not okay. 
and B, big emotions or quote unquote negative emotions are also not okay. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we want to be portraying to our kids because neither of those things are true. Right. And on the other end of the spectrum, when people are like, but positive parenting, that just means you let your kids get away with everything. Um, which is also not true. That's actually permissive parenting. Permissive parenting is like, my kids can just do whatever they want and we're just friends and I let them do their own thing. That also is going to break down the relationship because your child won't feel secure. They won't feel safe and they won't feel taken care of. Mm -hmm. So in the center lies what I call radical connection. Um, and that is a focus on relationship and a focus on love and acceptance more than anything else, but you're still going to have those firm boundaries and when I say firm boundaries, I don't mean like consequences where you're like, do this or else, or like now you're grounded or whatever. Right. But firm boundaries is just like having, um, rules that you simply state, like when my kid is hitting me, like we don't hit or, you know, gentle hands or like, it doesn't have to be these big, huge things. So yes, you still have boundaries. (laughs) You, you still are teaching your children. Um, but I truly believe that natural, that learning happens naturally so that our children, when they make a mistake, when they hit somebody on the playground and after they've calmed down and like relaxed and come back to themselves, they already know that that was wrong. They've already done the learning. Like they feel the guilt. They see the look on the other person's face. They have that. I think I heard somebody call it one time, the empathy loop. They have that empathy loop, like happen, happens full circle. But when we interrupt and we make it worse by yelling or screaming or, you know, giving them a punishment, we're not letting them have that natural learning cycle. And in fact, we might push them further into like shame. So instead of that, like loop of like, okay, I feel bad about this behavior. I should apologize. The difference between guilt and shame is guilt is uh, behavior based. It's like, I did something wrong here. Let me try to fix this. Whereas shame is like, there's something wrong with me. And we often not intentionally, it's not like as moms or dads, we're like going around trying to like shame our children. Um, or at least not most of us, I hope, but we do that unintentionally by the way that we respond in in those situations. Mm -hmm. I also think that authoritative parenting tends to put expectations, especially on the little kids Mm -hmm. of being able to do and process things that they are not physically ready to do. Yeah, exactly. I just was coaching somebody and who was struggling with her 11 year old and, um, she, you know, the expectation that she had was like, well, he should want to help and he should want to do this all the time. And I was like, okay, well, how many times a day do you respond, you know, calmly and contently to your children, even when, you know, they're being frustrating, frustrating to you and other times, like how many times do you not? And like, nobody on the earth responds hundred percent of the time perfectly, but yet you're expecting him to every single time do this. So a lot of times, It is our expectation that just needs to shift in that, like, they're still kids, like whether or not they're a baby or they're a toddler or they're a teen or a tween or even a young adult, they're still struggling. Just like we still struggle. Like Mm -hmm. I still lose my temper and I have all the tools and I'm a parent coach (laughs) and I still lose my temper and just like everybody else who's human. And so I think it's okay. Um, when we do, it's okay that we make mistakes and accepting that we're human and that we're going to make mistakes will help move us forward into a growth path instead of into the shame cycle of like, I'm the worst and this is never going to get better. Um, so lowering our expectations around what we expect from our kids, no matter the age, and also what, from what we expect from ourselves will actually help us feel a lot more peace when it comes to parenting. Mm, I agree. I think it can be hard sometimes though, especially if you come from like growing up in my house, my parents were yellers. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I had to work really hard when my daughter was born and was getting um, older not to become like a healer. Yeah. (laughs) It was really hard for me too. And I would always mess up, especially in the beginning, but I always thought it was important like to apologize to her and just say, I did not react correctly in that situation. I shouldn't have yelled at you. And this is what I should have done instead. So it's almost like I wanted to make sure that she was seeing that I made mistakes and just like she could forgive me if she makes mistakes, I'm always here for her and I will forgive her. Yeah. You're actually teaching her exactly what to do when somebody makes a mistake. So if she doesn't know how to handle that and she just expects to be like perfect all the time and then she makes a mistake, she's going to be like, nah, how do like, how do I handle this? But if she can remember back to like, oh, I know, like I just apologize and I move on and I reconnect like exactly what you did with her apologizing and reconnecting is what we teach. It's like that, that is what you do. You make mistakes. We're going to keep making mistakes. We're going to be okay with making mistakes, but instead of like dwelling in shame and thinking we're doing a terrible job, instead we're going to apologize and reconnect. And when you said what you said about your parents is true for, I would say 95% of the people that I've ever talked to, (laughs) um, because most of our parents, most of us were raised in authoritarian homes where it was grounding, spanking, yelling, um, timeouts, um, that kind of, um, restrictive type of parenting. And so of course that's our go-to because that's all we've seen. So we're like, Oh, okay. You yell when you're mad. Okay. You give your kid a timeout if they don't listen. Um, if they hit you, you know, you make them sit in their room or whatever. Like there's just all these things that we're so used to because that's how we were raised. And so it's kind of unlearning the ways that we were raised Um, but it actually doesn't take that long to unlearn it when you realize that the unlearning really is just like healing yourself, healing yourself Mm -hmm. from like your own kind of inner wounds or whatever's going on in there. And when you can do that, this kind of parenting can be really natural. Yes. And I do think that there's a, it can bring up when you're in that process of healing and working on how you react that can bring up a lot of emotions in its home when you're trying to like undo what you learned as a child from your parents who, you know, had the best intentions in mind, but just were working with the tools that they were taught. Yeah. Like they didn't know it all. Like if you look back at the generation before that, how Mm -hmm. much more, like my dad's first job was as a high school principal, um, or his first job was a high school principal and they gave him a belt and they were like, you know, when kids don't listen, you use this belt. And he Mm. was just like, what? Like, how is this still like, it was still law. And that's when I was probably young. I don't know. It was probably like five or six. Like that was still legal in the province that we lived in. Um, and that is, I'm, I mean, I'm not that old. (laughs) Like that was not that long ago. And so like, really it was abusive. And so that, like that level of parenting was kind of what was done to them. And so then we're just like, well, how do we handle this now? Like our parents parented this way, their parents parented that way. So I really like to come at it with grace and compassion for them because they really did do their best. Like there was no Mm -hmm. books like this out there. Like, I don't know of any books older than maybe 10, 12 years old that talk about, you know, more connection-based attachment-based parenting. Um, It really wasn't the norm. They didn't have the tools. They didn't have the experts out there telling them how to do it. Um, And so of course, of course they struggled with that. Right. And sometimes it can hard, it can be hard to see. Like if you look in the parenting groups, when there's always a, a debate about spanking, you know, yeah. one of the most common comments that I see is, well, my parents did it to me and I'm fine. <laughs> and it's just yes, like, but yes, I love are, like, as a generation, are we fine? <laughs> like, in, hey, I would, I would like to ask that specific person, like, okay, I would like you to define fine. 
So when somebody else is really angry around you, do you feel your temperature rising and do you immediately get angry too? Or are you able to stay calm? When somebody Mm -hmm. else tells you an opinion that's completely different than yours, do you take it personally and get offended? Or can you have a conversation with someone that has a different opinion than you? When you are put in a stressful environment, are you able to handle your own emotions? Are you able to take care of yourself in a healthy and positive way? Um, are you able to set goals and achieve them? Do you have healthy relationships with your kids and the people around you? Like I could go on and on and on, but, um, my guess to the, uh, most of those questions, the answer would be no. Um, because mm-hmm. fine is like, I'm alive, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> I'm making it like I have a job and I'm alive, right? Like mm-hmm. that's not, we don't want to just be fine. We want right. to thrive. We don't want to put our kids in a situation where they have to spend their adult years healing themselves. My goal is to teach moms um, so that they can transform the energy in their homes so that Mm -hmm. their children are raised as emotionally intelligent humans that are resilient, that know how to handle emotions and set goals and achieve them and not dwell in shame constantly. And I, I just love that. I love that goal. I love that aspiration. And I know that that's possible with this kind of parenting, that that is the kind of children that we're raising. We're raising empathetic, um, connected loving humans that are also making mistakes. And also, you know, half of the time going to screw up and that's okay. And they're going to be okay with it and move on and learn instead of, you know, instead of the opposite, instead of humans that spend years and years trying to figure out life. (laughs) Yeah. Do you, I, I know you mentioned a couple of books. Do you like the book, um, how to talk? So kids will listen and listen. So kids will talk. Yes. Um, I, can recommend that book only based on the fact that my mom, who was a counselor has said that it's good, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have not read that one yet. Okay. Um, I really love parenting books and I used to read them a lot, but what I found was once I was able to combine these two, combine this kind of parenting with these life coaching tools and really change my parenting that I don't ever read parenting books anymore. <laughs> and not because, not because they're not lovely and have good information, but like, I don't need to. I don't need somebody like, I don't need the Facebook groups where I'm like, what do I do with my kid? Like, I don't know how to handle this. Like I already know. Um, I call it your inner parenting expert, but Mm. some people call it like your intuition or your inner knowing we all have that. And we all have that in regards to parenting. Um, and when we can do our own inner work so that we can listen to that inner knowing, then that they, it always has the answer. Like it is literally going to give you the answer. You have the playbook inside of you. And so I don't think we need to spend so much time on like science and articles and books when we Mm -hmm. know how to listen to that. Um, and I would suggest that the authors of those books agree with that. Also, I just recently (laughs) interviewed Deborah McNamara on my podcast and she talked all about just like, just listen to your gut, like listen to your heart, like lessen your mind, like let's go Mm -hmm. to your heart. And, um, I think that they would agree with that. Also, I think that there is a lot of great information out there, but we need to learn how to implement it. And if you're constantly reading books and not implementing it, then, you know, it's not really as useful. Oh, 100%. I did enjoy that book only. And there was one single reason, because that was the first time that I learned about like consequences to kids behaviors should be like natural consequences and not mm-hmm. completely unrelated to whatever. So it's not like, okay, like you stole your sister's lunch money. So now you're grounded for two weeks and can't see your friends. Instead, it should be like, okay, you stole your sister's lunch money. So now you have to do chores to earn money to pay her back kind of thing. And that was like really 
mind blowing. And looking back, it's like, well, that's really obvious, but I was not again, raised that way. <laughs> so okay, for so me, it I, was so mind blowing. I was like, what? yeah, you're like, how does this work? Okay. So yeah. I would go even a step further and say that we don't need to ever use rewards and punishments. That consequence is actually still using a punishment. So mm-hmm. a natural consequence to me would be like, I'm holding this phone up in the air. If I let go of this phone, it drops on the ground. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything in that scenario, right? That happens because there's just a natural law of gravity. That's going to happen. Gotcha. Anything beyond that in my mind is not actually a natural consequence. So I've had people come to me that have said like, you know, my kid's really struggling to go to school. And they had a counselor that told them like, okay, if he doesn't get up in the morning, then he has to pay for his own Uber ride there. And they said, well, that's a natural consequence. And I was like, no natural consequences that he doesn't go to school. Like Mm -hmm. that's the natural consequence already happened when he missed, you know, the bus to school, that is what happened. And so when we intervene in that way over time, um, I think it still disrupts the natural learning pattern. Mm -hmm. So if I have a child that, um, like your example was like stole, you know, stole something or whatever, and you're like, okay, you broke this thing. You need to, you need to fix it. I'm still kind of pushing myself in there and trying to, trying to force something. Mm -hmm. But whereas if I can wait and I can like calm myself down and wait until they're calmed down. And then maybe I talk to them about it like later that night or the next day. And I'm just like, Hey, what was happening? Like, why were you so frustrated? And how did this happen? And like, what do you think we should do now? They might actually decide, Oh, you know what? What if I help them? pay this? What if I go and like do some extra chores or like, maybe I could pitch in some money and maybe you could pitch in some money, but like the answer comes from them instead of us trying to push that answer. So anyways, that's, there's a lot more that I could talk about rewards and punishments, but I think that we do often try to try to use natural consequences when it comes to this form of parenting in a way that can still break down the relationship Mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So what does it, because I mostly see like babies and young toddlers, Mm -hmm. what does this type of parenting look like at that age? Yeah, at that age. So a lot of attachment based people would say, you know, like co-sleeping or nursing for a long time or like baby wearing or all of those things. I don't deal with a lot of like kids and toddlers, so I don't deal with those kinds of issues. Um, I really think it's just like listening to your intuition. So it doesn't matter what age your kid is, right? If you're intuition is telling you, which my intuition told me when I was like trying the cried out method, like everyone was like, do this, like get your baby to sleep. Like you're just not teaching your baby. And he's like crying so hard that he's vomiting. He literally vomited on the wall and I'm crying then. And I'm like, this does not feel right. This feels wrong. That was my intuition telling me like, this is not good for him. And this is not good for you. And this is not okay. And I never did it again. And I think that oftentimes we listen to outside sources instead. We're just like, let's listen to other people and we'll get them to tell us what to do. So it doesn't matter if you have a newborn or if you have a toddler, if you have a teenager, just take some time to tap into what feels true to you and not on the surface on the surface. It's going to be like, I need sleep. This is crazy. I can't handle this. Like my want might, you know, my kids should be sleeping through the night, all of those things. I like to just like write all those thoughts out, whatever the thoughts are, and kind of just like crumple them up or put them to the side on a piece of paper. And then I'm just going to tap into like what really feels true here. And Mm -hmm. for me and for a lot of my clients, what feels true was like, let's just relax about it. Like kids, you know, babies aren't supposed to sleep through the night. I don't know whoever started that rumor, but it is a terrible rumor. 
Babies are not supposed to sleep through the night and neither are toddlers. And even Mm -hmm. when they get to be five or six or seven, it is super common for them to wake up multiple times a night because they will eventually learn how to sleep and learn how to self-soothe, but they don't, they're not born self-soothing. And Mm -hmm. so the more we don't listen to the media and to our friends and to our Facebook groups, and we do take the time to listen to ourselves, um, the form of parenting that will come from that is, is this like, that's what it'll be. And it doesn't mean it's going to be exactly the same for every single person. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will be able to find your own answer. Right. I, I 100% completely agree. And I think, I think our society has lost sometimes the ability to realize what their instinct is telling them because the yes. background noise of is so loud of like, you should do this with your baby or you need to like, you have to sleep train. You have to do this. You have to do that. Um, so sometimes the political atmosphere right now is like, you have to listen to scientists all the time. And we're like, Mm -hmm. okay. So then that must mean that we need somebody to tell us the answer all the time. Mm -hmm. So then we're like reading news articles and like, like there's always going to be conflicting information when it comes to parenting. Well, when it comes to everything in the world, but if you think about parenting, like there will always be, you know, articles on one side and articles on the other side. And if we're always trying to look outside ourselves for the answer, we'll never find the answer. The answer Mm -hmm. is always inside. Yeah. I tell families all the time, like there, there are a lot of experts out there, but you are the only expert in your baby. No one knows your baby more than you. And if you are thinking, you know, crying and out sleep training is not right for me or my baby, then it's not right for you yeah. or your baby. And it's nothing that you have to do. Um, yeah. and that kind of reminds me, do you remember the show man about you? Oh, that um, sounds really familiar. Yes. Yes. I think I do. Yes. So there was an episode where they were sleep training yeah. their daughter and the whole episode is just them sitting outside the door and like talking about it and trying. And then when she finally falls asleep, the mom is just like, I feel like I broke her heart and yeah, it, she regretted it instantly. And it was because yeah. she didn't have the opportunity to be encouraged to listen to her instincts and say, it's okay that your baby's still waking up. Your baby still needs to wake up for whatever reason. And you should just follow your instincts. Yeah. Like our babies don't come <laughs> out <laughs> of the womb, just like independent. I mean, right. shocker, right? They need yeah. us. <laughs> They need us emotionally. And so um, co-regulation happens through us helping to regulate them. So mm-hmm. them being able to feel our heartbeat and or hear our heartbeat and to feel their skin on our skin and mm-hmm. to feel the rocking motion as we like walk or whatever, right? All of that soothes, soothes them because they mm-hmm. don't already know how to self-regulate, which is obvious. Um, mm-hmm. It gets a little bit more tricky when kids get older and we're just Mm -hmm. like, okay, well now they're 11. So for sure they should be able to self-regulate. So when they get upset, they should be able to immediately know like, okay, I shouldn't hit. I shouldn't yell. I shouldn't throw things. I should just like go take a few deep breaths, maybe do a 60 second meditation and I'll feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. But they don't know that at 11 either. And oftentimes even when they're teenagers. So, um, this form of parenting is really all about two things. One is connection focusing on your relationship, your connection. Some people call it your attachment, right? What's called attachment-based parenting. And then the second um, is modeling the behavior that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Because if you think of any time in your life where you ever learned anything, it was from, often it was from somebody else that you felt connected to, right? You never had a mm-hmm. teacher who like yelled at you and hated you. And then all of a sudden you like learned from them. Like you don't like, unless you have a relationship first, you won't learn. And what you often learn is not by what they say, but by what they do. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And I love that you brought up that babies are co-regulators because so many people don't realize that Mm -hmm. we aren't like horses where we give birth and our babies run around the field two hours later. That's the trade-off of having big brains is our babies are born very early in development compared to other mammals. And they're expecting to be here, skin to skin. They're expecting to be held. They're expecting to have their needs met. And if their needs are not met, it's not like that teaches them self-soothing or independence. It just teaches them to shut down and realize like, if I cry for help, no one's going to help me. So why bother? Yeah. Yeah. And like, how sad is that? Like your child is not screaming for you anymore or calling for you anymore because they don't think you're going to come because they already have learned not to trust you and not to feel safe and secure around you. Like that is not the message we want to be giving our kids. Right. And, um, I saw a a graph on co-regulation that, um, you can probably just Google co-regulation graph. It's like, it always comes up for me when I Google that, but anyways, it tells you like, it's like over, um, over the lifespan and, um, tells you kind of like how it happens. And so what I like about it is that it can really change our perspective because we sometimes think, okay, well by three, they should be able to do this by five, by eight, by 11, by 12. And so seeing that this graph kind of go up until like adulthood, where like, even as an adult, we still need some co-regulation, right? It's often why we partner up. We have a partner that we feel attached to and they help soothe us as well. They help. We have that relationship and connection with them. Um, but really like it's, it's common for even teenagers to not know how to regulate all of the time. Um, and especially if you have a child who's neurodivergent, um, it's going to be even more difficult. It's going to take them Mm -hmm. an even longer time. That might be some skills that, that, you know, are well into adulthood or beyond that, that they, until they can figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yep. 100%. And then as you move into toddlerhood, what are some strategies that parents can use when it, when it comes to this type of parenting? So I would say number one, lower your expectation around your child. So often we have these expectations even and like, and they're so ridiculous when we say them out loud, but we often don't say them out loud. We just let them stay in our mind. So I would allow yourself to like, just write down all of the wild and crazy expectations that you have. Even if it's like my toddler should never scream or hit or bite or yell or throw things like even just writing it out. You're like, Oh, like they're a toddler. Obviously they should, but mm-hmm. we the, the process of releasing our expectations doesn't have to do with them and what we're teaching them. And if we're going to teach them that behavior is good or bad, it has to do with us. So our lowering our expectations has to do with us then being able to be calm and more content and more at peace and more connected as we, um, interact with them in that situation. Mm -hmm. So if we have this expectation that things should be one way and they're not, our brain immediately goes to frustration frustration, unmet expectations, 100% of the time leads to frustration. So if we can just lower our expectation, we'll be able to show up in a totally different way. Mm -hmm. And also along with the trusting your gut thing, like maybe when they're having a meltdown, you just feel like I just need to sit here and not say anything. And I just need to like Mm -hmm. breathe and keep myself calm. Like that could be how your brain is telling you to handle that tantrum. And like, that's perfectly fine. Like whatever you can do to keep yourself more still and more at peace, like holding space for their emotions. Um, it's great practice when they're toddlers, because they give you so many opportunities to practice throughout the day. And then again, when they're older, they'll, you know, keep giving you practice times, but especially as toddlers. So, um, and I would say number three to like, really take care of yourself. Like parenting Mm -hmm. is hard. And when we tell ourselves like, Oh, parenting is easy. Everybody does it. Like I should be doing better. Um, that's just not helpful or supportive. Mm -hmm. So like accepting that, like, yeah, it is hard. And yes, I do need support from the people around me. 
-hmm. and getting that support and voicing the help and support that you need, um, is really helpful. So don't just like pretend that everything's fine and like, you'll be fine. And I can do this all on my own. Like you can't, that will lead to burnout and overwhelm and Mm -hmm. a whole bunch, a whole range of problems. So, um, taking little bits of time during the day, like even if your kid's young and you don't feel like you can take lots of times, that's okay. Like when they're nap, when they nap, you can nap or maybe they're playing with blocks for a little bit and you can just take a few deep breaths or you can have a book that you're reading. Um, self-care needs to be taking care of yourself in ways that nourish you where you feel rejuvenated. Um, that looks different from some people. I talked to somebody one time who said she loved like painting her nails and like, you know, giving herself a, you know, manicure and pedicure that has not ever felt, made me feel rejuvenated. (laughs) Like, no, I need like a nap or something, but like, you know, reading books have, or like deep Mm -hmm. breaths or time spent in nature. So taking time to like go below those like surface thoughts again of like, you know, I just want to scroll social media and stay up late watching Netflix. Like that is not actually helping you feel rejuvenated. So going beyond Mm -hmm. that and going a little level deeper, what is going to make me feel um, supported and refreshed and rejuvenated and do more of that. Right. And I love that you said going a little deeper because in my head, as you were talking, I was thinking that our society's version of self-care for moms and women mm-hmm. is so shallow, like, yes. Oh, go to the grocery store by yourself yeah. or you know, have a coffee or, you know, and it's like, that's not maybe for some people that's self-care, but I'm going to need more than that. Yeah. It needs to be something that fills us with energy that fuels Mm -hmm. us. Um, I think a great, well, I'll give you two great forms of self-care. One is self-love. So one is treating yourself kindly by the way that you speak to yourself in your mind. Mm -hmm. So if you notice the thoughts in your mind, a lot of them are negative. That's what our brain just does. And so switching that. So just noticing like, how am I speaking to myself? Would I speak that way to somebody that I love? Mm -hmm. Um, and the second would be to find your own passion. We often wrap all of ourselves up and our whole identity into our children. And then, you know, the problem with that is that like when good things happen and they're doing great, we're like, oh, yeah, this is awesome. This means, you know, that I'm a great mom. But then when they're not, we're like, I'm a terrible parent. Yeah. Um, when really it doesn't have anything to do with you. They're a person outside of yourself. Like you're a person, mm-hmm. they're a person, you're separate and you might be connected, but that doesn't mean that what they do and don't do has anything to do with whether or not you're doing a good job. You could be doing an amazing job and still, and still your child's struggling. Um, so just taking time to find your identity outside of your motherhood. So Mm -hmm. what do I love to do? What brings me joy? What fuels me? Um, what do I feel like my purpose is? We all have some unique purpose that we get to fulfill. And so how am I going to do that? Um, and we often forget that, especially when our kids are little, because it's just, it's just exhausting having kids that are like toddlerhood and babyhood is literally the most exhausting time ever. And most of the time when I have clients with kids that age, I'm just like, what is your sleep like? And how much are you sleeping? Cause mm-hmm. you probably just need more sleep and you'll feel better. Um, it's a tough time. It's such a tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, so just finding little ways to like help yourself through, even if it's just little like teaspoons of self-care, not giant Mm -hmm. cups of self-care. Um, and this can be just through speaking to yourself a little bit more kindly Mm -hmm. and taking some deeper breaths and going to spend time outdoors. Um, Mm -hmm. anyways, there's lots of different things it could be. Yeah. Even if it's just, if you're short on time, even it's just like a quick trip to Starbucks by yourself, which mm-hmm. is a little bit better for me than just going to the grocery store by myself. Yeah. Let's go run some more errands. Let's go get some more things done. <laughs> yeah. Like, and call that self-care. Um, 
yeah, I think it needs, it needs to be something that you feel fuels you. Mm-hmm. you feel you feel energized afterwards mm-hmm. so whatever that is for you because I had um, my sister said that she loved to like have baths at the end of the night and she was like oh this is like that's the only self-care she was doing at the time and she was like I feel exhausted after like it doesn't fuel me with energy at all so she was like I, not that I'm not ever gonna not have a bath and lay like you know lay in bubble bath for the evening but like maybe there's other things I can do also mm-hmm. that fuel me so yeah just brainstorm what feels good right. for you Yeah. And I like, I like what you're saying. I say it. Um, I talk a lot about that on my Instagram channel too. Like you're, and I always tell the families I work with your children should be the center of your universe, but they shouldn't be your entire universe because I experienced it myself. I have a lot of really close friends that they experienced that it well, but when you, when you do wrap up your entire identity in motherhood, you turn crispy as fucking fry. Like it just, that's, that's what happens. And I, I had it happen to myself. I've seen it happen to a lot of good friends too many times where it's like, just don't lose the stuff that you like, the stuff that you were doing before. Don't let those go away. Keep those. I love that. I'm totally going to use that quote. I just wrote it down. (laughs) Your child should be the center of your universe, not your whole universe. It's so true. It's so true. And then we find ourselves totally burnt out when we have older Mm -hmm. kids and they're doing their thing and we're doing our thing. And then right. people will email and be like, I feel lost. I feel like empty. Yeah. I feel like I don't know who I am anymore. And that's um, not what you want to monitor, like model to your kids too, that yeah. they're, you don't want to teach them that their whole identity is dependent on other people. You yeah. want to teach them that they're their own person. Right. Like motherhood is a role. We don't ever want our roles to define us. Mm-hmm. So I don't want just what I do in my work or, you know, as a mom, like to be the defining feature of me. So. Mm-hmm. I would suggest too, like if you're doing like, if you're a thought work, a journaling person, write down what your roles are and kind of separate that from like, but who am I? Like Mm -hmm. I'm creative and I'm innovative and I'm compassionate and I'm loving and figure out, you know, things, ways to describe yourself that aren't connected to the roles that you play. Mm -hmm. I love that. And and then another thing that you were talking about that I talk all the time with parents about specifically my sleep clients is Mm co-regulation and how your baby cannot physically calm themselves down from fight or flight. They just don't have the brain development yet. So they need help stopping that stress signal and coming down from fight or flight. And they're looking for help from you. So if you don't know how to bring yourself down from (laughs) fight or flight, I always say like a calm, regulated parent means a calm, regulated baby. Um, but if you don't know how to bring yourself down from fight or flight, you're going to have, you're going to have to work on that first, because if you don't know how to do it, you can't teach it to your child until you kind of do that work. Yeah. You have to do your own work first and show Mm -hmm. them the way. So tell me a little bit. I saw it was on your website and I saw that you have like packages and stuff. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? I can. Okay. So I don't know exactly when you're going to be listening to this. I I kind of changed things up a little bit, Um, but I have a monthly program for moms and that opens about every three months or so. So far I've been opening it every three months. Um, And that one's great. We have weekly coaching calls. I have like office hours so people can just come in and go, um, you know, as, as needed. Um, that one's great. I have so many office hours that this lady that just recently got coached like four times in a row. She was like, I almost feel bad that I get so much coaching. Like, this is so awesome anyways. And what coaching call looks like is kind of this, like, what are you struggling with? Are you struggling with like self-care? Are you feeling like lost in your motherhood? Are you struggling with, you know, your own emotions and dealing with their emotions? Like that's, those are the kinds of things that we dig into and really work through. 
Um, so that's what my group program looks like. And then, um, depending on when you're listening to this, I do have one-on-one coaching spots available as well. And my one-on-one coaching program looks like either you or you and your partner. So I typically work with moms, but I also really love working with couples. So if you both are struggling with parenting and both really wanting to work on, you know, your response to your children and not melting down at their meltdowns and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. then I love that. I love, I love working with couples. Um, so it's the same price either way, working with couples or one or, um, with, with the mom. And, um, you can just check it out at my website, www.coachcrystal.ca. Um, but I mostly am on Instagram. So if you find me on Instagram at the parenting coach and just DM me, we can chat about all of that. Um, and then also on my podcast, it's called the freedom moms podcast. Um, and it's also really great. So you can check that out too. I can't wait to check that out. Yeah. And I love your Instagram feed. Like you put up such great contact. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, yeah, I love, I love my podcast. I love creating stuff for people. And I love when people message me and are like, I love this. This really helped. I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad I never know. (laughs) (laughs) It is nice to get that feedback. It is. Yeah. So thanks for saying that. Yeah. And thank you so much for talking with us today. I think this is such an important topic. I still feel like a lot of families are maybe they, their instinct is telling them that there's a better way, but they're not sure what that is or how to get there. So I'm really happy that there are people out there like you, that are showing them like, this is how it can be if you want it to. And this is how we can work towards that. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thank you for joining us this week on the baby pro podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.